Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. We get labeled as salespeople because we have a lot of energy and we tend to fly by the seat of our pants, which none of that makes a good salesperson. But I was always like, I didn't need a CRM. I didn't need a schedule. I would remember these things. And the things that happened to me are number one is I wouldn't remember. And then I would say the same thing or offer the same thing to a prospect, or I would completely forget. And, you know, you'd have one of those dreams where you wake up in the middle of the night after having a nightmare that said, oh my God, I never called Jack back from so-and-so. And you realize you just lost a big sale. Hi friends. Welcome to the sales enablement podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Meredith Elliott Powell. She's the author of several books, including Who Comes Next? Leadership Succession Planning Made Easy. And today she's joining me on Sales Enablement, episode 788, to talk about sales follow-up. In other words, how to follow up to ensure that you are in front of the right buyers at the right time. So today, Meredith is going to share with us what sellers are currently missing in their follow-up. And we're going to examine Meredith's five strategies for a structured follow-up process. And after that, we'll dig into Meredith's four strategies for the art of the follow-up. As Meredith will explain, it's one thing to have a process. It's quite another to get creative to come up with specific tactics that will enable you to stand out and how you engage with your buyer. So we'll get into all that and much, much more. But before we get to Meredith, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this show are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the podcast, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and a review. And if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do. That's the usual LinkedIn preamble slash real Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it. Meredith, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I am excited to be here, Andy. And so where are you joining us from today? I am in Asheville, North Carolina, where spring has come and the rhododendron have bloomed. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So I'll put you in the mood for like, uh, which we've long passed is like the masters and other, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. More than a few places I look today, looks like Amen Corner. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awfully pretty. Yeah. So you're keeping safe and well, hopefully. Yeah, safe and healthy. All is good here. Um, you know, just thinking about how busy I am for somebody who never seems to leave the house. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I think that seems to be sort of a common common theme. Yeah, I mean, who would it? My my life is kind of confined to a two mile radius. So on occasion, I go to the store, I go out for a hike or a bike ride or something every day, but I don't go very far. And now I'm trying to figure out how I ever had the time to possibly meet somebody at Starbucks. <laughs> well, <laughs> so what's filling up the time? What's different? Yeah. So I think what's filling up the time is one, it really started with me um, just trying to figure out how to do business from home. I mean, I am probably a little luckier than, than, you know, most in the sense that, you know, people like you and I have worked out of our houses for years, but I'm mm-hmm. used to being on an airplane and, uh, and on a stage. So now it became like, how do I work uh, full time and what do I do for work? So it took me about a month to figure that out. And then after focusing on that, now the pipeline has started to turn back on and the work has started to come and I find myself pretty busy uh, serving clients. And what do they want now that they didn't want before? Well, what they need now is really a lot of help navigating um, how to how to make it in today's marketplace. I've got clients that are doing incredibly well, but it's almost overwhelm. It's too much business and how do they navigate their way through that. Then I've got other clients that we're working with that they've got to totally redesign their business model. I mean, they may have been serving industries that aren't doing well or they focus too much on um, on foot traffic and mm-hmm. we've got to we've got to reinvent and transform what they do. So I'm really excited about the work that um, that I'm doing now. You know, basically my tag for the last couple of years has been um, turning uncertainty to competitive advantage. Now I never saw a pandemic come, but for the last <laughs> oh, couple you of years, <laughs> yeah. But for the last couple of years, I've been researching and studying organizations that have come through things like. Um, economic depression, world wars, even even pandemics, and what they have done differently. So, um, in a unique position to really help my clients navigate the changes they're going through right now. So, based on your study, what did they do differently? Yeah, it is so fascinating and interesting. Number one is they really conditioned themselves for change. And what I mean by that is that when you think about the fact that we are living in a, in an environment that is changing rapidly. And typically, as human beings, we wait for change to come, and then we adapt to it. And we think we're pretty stellar if we adapt to it. We think we're ahead of the curve if we adapt to the change. But what these organizations do is have done is really condition themselves for change, making talking about the things that are happening in society, the economy, politics, customers, their industry, um, continually and consistently inside their businesses so they actually see the change coming. And I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a, just a really, um, you know, quick example. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Brooks, Brooks Brothers is a great example of a, of a business that, um, that I studied. And, um, and Brooks Brothers, you know, is famous for making men's suits and that's yep. how they started and that's what they did. But as the Civil War broke out, um, they were the first ones to jump to the plate and start making union uniforms. Uh, they saw that the shift was coming. No men are going to be wearing suits. They're going to be wearing uniforms. And then as soon as the war started to wind down, they switched again to make um, an inexpensive um, suit, getting ready for the next wave that was coming. So it's about talking about the changes are coming because that's where the power is. 
right? I mean, you see the opportunity before everybody else sees the opportunity and you don't, um, you're committed to who you are as a business, but not committed to what you offer and how you offer it. So along that line is what questions should companies be asking and talking about internally right now? Yeah, they, um, one of the biggest is I, I really tell my clients, I want to see you at least every 30 days. If you're a small business operator, get together with two or three of your peers. If you have a team, gather up your team. And I want you just to go through a little brainstorming session that I call a skeptic. What's happening in society? What's happening with competition? What's happening in the economy? What's happening in politics? What's happening in technology, industry, and with your customers? And as you brainstorm those things out, then just ask yourself, what, if anything, um, do we need to pay attention to? And what, if anything, do we need to change? Is there opportunity or a threat? You know, the thing about change is if you see it coming, it's your greatest opportunity. If you wait for it to hit you, it, it can be the thing that'll take your business under. So why do you call it the skeptic? Because pretty much if you change the second, the first C to a K, it, um, it spells skeptic. And it is, uh, it made a nice little acronym, acronym, which I thought was maybe a little bit easier to, uh, uh, to remember people. You know, in all, in all honesty, Andy, what I want people to do is just get their head out of their business, at least on a monthly basis. One thing that is so unique about the time that we're living in is the majority of things that can impact your success are outside of your organization. And if you pay attention to those things, then you're one step ahead of the changes that are coming. Yeah. Well, I, that's funny. I, I tend to think most of those factors are almost always outside your company, but your point is still relevant even then, right? Is, yes. There's very little that there are a certain number of things you can control, but yeah, how it's received, yeah, you don't have much control over. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we want to talk about today was was getting into the sales field. Was you've been talking and writing a lot about uh, follow-up in sales. And I was just wondering why this, why this has become such... And first of all, define what you mean by follow-up because you know, there's several different nuanced definitions. <laughs> yeah. but, but, and also why it's become a top issue for you. Yeah, you know, it's kind of follow up, sort of like the word sales, right? It has so many different meanings and so many different, uh, so many different connotations. Um, you know, follow up for me is really how do you stay connected to a prospect and add value in a way so that when the prospect is ready to buy, you're the first person they think of and the first person that that they turn to. The reason I'm so passionate about it is more than a few reasons. I think it's one of the most neglected parts of the sales process. I mean, I'm a salesperson myself and I get very excited about chasing um, the prospect, finding the new shiny object and Mm -hmm. just trying to get in the door. I mean, there's just a high in just getting a prospect to to even talk to you. But the chances that you're going to interact with a customer or a prospect at the exact moment they're ready to buy are pretty slim to none. And if you don't have a strong follow-up process, um, really a system and a strategy around it, then you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table and you're opening up the door for your competition. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, the definition you're using is when you say at the moment they're ready to buy, meaning the ready moment they're ready to initiate the process of yes. making a decision is, yeah, there's a certain amount of happenstance that occurs sometimes that you make the cold call at the right time, ask the right question, triggers a uh, an inquiry on their part, but other times, to your point, is is yeah, it's just not the right moment. And so, how do you bridge from there to the time when it is a moment? And to your point, be front and center because I, I think there's 
I think a lot of art in that. I've I've re- I wrote an ebook about that uh, a few years ago. Is like, yeah, there is an art of follow up and and being very deliberate about it. I suppose just saying, yeah, let me let me check in with them every month or so. There's much more to it than that. Yeah, you are so you're so right about that. I mean, you probably find this with um, with sales professionals. I do too. It's that either people follow up by calling them, you know, every week, every month, and saying, "Hey, are you ready to buy?" Or they don't follow up at all. And there's very little in between that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I agree with you 100. percent It's it's follow up is science in the sense that you have to have a system and a strategy just to keep yourself accountable to do it. But sure. most of but most of it is art. I mean, you have to feel your way through it. I may have three people in the same industry, in the same size company, and my product fills and takes care of their same need, but their buying cycle and process may be different. One person um, is not, you know, necessarily they're ready to talk, but they're not necessarily ready to buy. And my follow-up strategy needs to be different than somebody who's really ready to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. So, so I think the art of it really comes in what we as salespeople really do best. I mean, it's why I think salespeople are so vital today because you can systematize a lot, but at the end of the day, buying's emotional. It's how we make people feel and how much prospects think they need us to get to their goals. And that's where we as salespeople in the follow-up system apply the art. It's about adding things that are relevant, continuing to push the sale along, making people understand that what we're trying to sell them needs to move to the top of their priority list. And that it's our opportunity to continue to build the relationship and truly secure our position as the trusted advisor. Because if you get follow-up right, you just open the door for a lot more selling opportunities. Yeah, and it, as we said before, it comes in sort of several different flavors, right? One is the one we described before. How do you bridge between initial contact to point where they're ready to to go, you know, forward with their exploration? Uh, two, it could be, yeah, you're in a long sales cycle product, and yeah, maybe there's a month or more between substantive interactions that you have with the buyer. What do you do during that period to stay front and center in a way that's not annoying, in a way that's value added? Um, very important and one that that oftentimes is ignored. You know, sellers yeah. mostly think, "Well, I'll just do the check-in call. Yeah, I'll just give them a call, throw that in there. Hey, how you doing? Haven't heard from you for a couple of weeks. Uh, what's new?" Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. If you're deliberate about it, and you talk about your your strategy, which we'll get into, is yeah, you can stay top of mind. You can progress the sale and add value while you're not <laughs> not interacting with them. Yeah, it's um, you know, I find that that all too often, I mean, one reason that people, you know, get a bad taste in their mouth for salespeople is because so much of our sales training has taught us to focus on our own goals and getting the sale to to close. And really what follow-up needs to be about is that in every interaction you have with a customer, they give you a clue as to what the next step is or the next thing that they need. So, you know, follow-up can't I don't even think good follow-up is the shallow piece of saying, hey, I'm going to invite you to a party or I'm going to send you a book you've always wanted to read. Follow-up needs to, to be that you have intimate knowledge of this company. You've really listened to their pain points and their problems. You understand what's going on and you're going to use touch points as a way to be um, to add things 
to, to add relevant um, uh, strategies or tactics that are going to help them move closer to their goal, where they almost get to a point to think, I, I really want this person to contact me. I want them to mm-hmm. reach. Um, I want them to reach out to me. There's somebody I see as a you know as a partner on my as a partner on my team. Well, yeah, you you train your buyer. Mm-hmm. This is a concept people seem unfamiliar with, but it's 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 true. Yeah, you know, through the way you communicate and through the value you provide in these follow up touches, you're training the buyer that hey, every time I hear from Meredith, I need to open that mail. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, I also think that um, one of the things about follow-up I think is so critical is so often during the process, the circumstances that your uh, prospect is experiencing changes. Like, I can't tell you how many follow-ups I've done in the middle of this crisis that it wasn't somebody who was necessarily, you know, ready to do business with me before this pandemic hit. But now this this pandemic has hit, some things have hit the urgent um, place for them and they want to go ahead and do business. And if I hadn't been following up, then they, they wouldn't have turned to me for those, for those needs. Yeah. Well, it's about building and maintaining that, that connection. You know, if you do successfully mm-hmm. build that initial connection, build the rapport, start building some trust, uh, a source of value for them, then yeah, when they're, you'll be front and center. So you have a five-step strategy to talk about for follow-up, um, and so we sort of talked about the first one, a little bit about having a, a schedule. And I wrote about this years ago in one of my uh, books, which I called it a value-based persistence schedule, meaning, hey, I, I'm going to lay out a plan. If I've talked to them, they're not quite ready and they're not at that point. I'm going to lay out a plan between now and the next end period of time where I've got these things I'm going to deliver to the buyer that's going to be of value to them. Absolutely. I mean, you have to be working a schedule and you have to have a plan. And Andy, the reason I know that is because, um, is because, uh, I, for years I did not. And I would just be winging it. You know, I'm, I am a true salesperson at heart. And I think a lot of salespeople, you know, um, we get labeled as salespeople because we, we have a lot of energy and we, you know, tend to fly by the seat of our pants, which none of that makes, makes a good salesperson. But I was always like, I didn't need a CRM. I didn't need a schedule. I would remember these things. And, and the things that happened to me are number one is I wouldn't remember. And then I would say the same thing or offer the same thing to, um, to a prospect, or I would completely forget. And, you know, you'd have one of those dreams where you wake up in the middle of the night after having a nightmare that said, Oh my God, I never called Jack back from so-and-so. And you realize you just lost, you know, a, a big sale. So, you know, you not only need to have a schedule, but you really need to be taking notes and you need to be aware of um, not only what you said and did, but probably more importantly, what um, what they said and did. And so when you put that plan together and you have a certain cadence to the, to the outreach is what's sort of ideal? This is something that always bedevils sellers is like, what's too soon, right? I mean, even between, you know, substantive conversations and interactions in your sales process, you're still going to have these smaller touches at points that you have is what's too soon. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's funny because I'll hear people talk about follow-up and they'll say, you know, you need to follow up every week because you need to get that, um, that deal to close. And I think cadence, um, Andy is where we get back into this art. I mean, you've got to feel it. I mean, just, just to make it easy, I tend to put my, um, clients in an, um, my prospects in an A, B and a C. A is a really hot, 
prospect, like where they're interested, they they want to do um, they want to do business. A B is they've showed interest, they're just not ready right now. And a C is either I'm not necessarily getting a response, or you know they've kind of put me off for right now. And I tend to, um, I tend to go with my hots, um, at least, you know, if they're not immediately ready to close, I'll do it once a month. My B's I'll do, um, every other or once a quarter and my C's I'll do twice a year, but that's just my guide. I feel my way through that. I mean, like if I have a hot prospect and I'm sure this has happened to you who we have a great conversation, they're ready to pull the trigger. I reach back out to sign the contract and it goes cold. Um, and I reach back out again and it goes cold, then I've got to feel my way through that. I mean, typically what I'll do is send an email saying, look, I know you're busy. You've got a lot going on. Please don't worry about getting back in touch with me. I'm going to take that responsibility. You'll hear from me uh, on a monthly basis. And when you're ready um, to move forward, I'll be right here ready to go. I want to make it as easy for you as possible. So a system or a cadence would be easy if customers all acted the same. But they don't, right? So we've got to, you know, we've got to see, we've got to be feeling our way through that. And I think a salesperson's intuition is is a pretty good indicator of what to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I take a different cue. Oftentimes, when people go silent like that, is is my belief is, and my experience has shown that that somewhere along the line, there was a need for information that I wasn't providing. There was a question asked somewhere. And there's been studies showing the way people sort of process information when they're looking at making a change is they they process information very serially. And if there's a question at one point in the process and you haven't provided the answer, let's say, that they needed or information they needed, they stop. Yeah. And they may not even be aware consciously somewhat of what that's happening, but yeah, there's a need for information somewhere you have to go back through and really say, yeah, what am I missing here? What what was the question asked at some point that I just I missed? You know, you you just you just so beautifully moved into the third strategy, which is track and measure. Um, that's the reason, right? I mean, the reason you want to track what you're doing and measure what you're doing in terms of calls and look at those conversations is for exactly what you just said. Sometimes things aren't going according to plan and something got missed. And I always tell sales professionals, you are your best sales coach. There's not a better sales coach for you out there than you. If you'll track and measure your own behavior and take a little bit of time to reflect, you can really learn what you've done well, um, where you where you're missing something, and um, and where your challenges lie. And you can learn to correct um, from you know your your own behavior. So it's really um, it's really important. Um, again, it, it's a reason that I love follow up because it isn't just a science. It's really an art, and it's about you learning and discovering and getting better at it. But you can't do that if you don't apply some of the systems and science behind it. The stuff that um, I personally, as a sales professional never liked until I figured out the value of it was things like putting the system in place, was the tracking and measuring. But I had a great sales coach years ago who told me that when you track and measure, you, 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 you learn the story of your sales process and the story of who you are as a sales, as a salesperson. Right. And the better you understand your story, the more effective you will be. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, but people can still use third-party coaches to help them, I think. But yes. but yeah, it's it's understanding what works for you and what doesn't, and being very familiar with with your own ratios, your own metrics, and so on is is 
very important. And I think to the point about you're making there too about the effectiveness of what you're doing is is and the art is that you know sales is just a collection of moments. And we tend to think that the most important moments are these significant meetings we have, you know, discovery, qualification, presentation, a demo, whatever. And I I don't think that's necessarily the case. You know, I think that that oftentimes it's the smaller moments where you're having these conversations that are are not as um, yeah, not as big as you might you know put them in your stage and it has a stage in your sales process. We have these more informal conversations where where you learn more and where the customer perhaps drives more value that that uh, helps them you know, make a choice about yeah, are you something I go with or not? And the relationship gets built and the trust gets built. And so these small moments that I consider sort of the follow-up as we're talking about here in the context are small moments. Yeah, I think those are hugely valuable. I, I, I would I would really agree. I mean, I think is I think a a really great sale is a series of small moments. I mean, you know, we talked at the beginning about the fact that um you know, sometimes you get lucky and you interact with somebody at the exact moment they're ready to buy. For me, those have never been the great sales. They've never been the long relationships. For me, it's always been the ones where it has been that series of small pieces where they've taken time to get to know me. It, I've taken the time to get to know their business. And it's not something that has necessarily come on my very first try. Um, but it, but once it's sold, it became really a lifelong relationship. And I think, um, you know, I think if we as sales professionals can get excited about the follow-up and really see that as a vital part of the sales process, um, I think we're going to not only close a lot more sales, but retain a lot of customers for a lifetime doing the work that we love to do, which is really, uh, you know, which is really using our products and services to help people achieve whatever goals they have. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for people to sort of visualize this is that if you were drawing a sort of a, a graph uh, on XY axis and you have you know peaks, let's say four peaks, which could be you know signify four significant interactions, you know part of your sales process that are mapped out, and in between the peaks, there's these series of smaller peaks uh, that may only rise to be a quarter as high or whatever, and those are the ones I think that really help drive things forward. Those are the those are these follow up touches um, where, yeah, the time invested is relatively small, but the the relative and proportional impact and value they provide can be fairly significant. Yeah, you can. Um, I think it. You know, really on that on that uh, in that arena too is that I feel like it forces us as salespeople to go back and really create things of value that will bring that relationship uh, uh, along. I know like for me right now, one thing I've really enjoyed is the fact that when I've been engaging with people, they're putting challenges and issues that they're having in front of me that I've not faced before. Mm -hmm. And I'm having to go do research. I'm having to learn. I'm having to put things together to nurture that, that relationship along. I've got to add value with new blogs, new videos, new, new, new tools that I never had before. And it's forcing me to grow and learn and become even a bigger resource uh, for them. So I feel like, you know, follow up 
takes us to another level as uh, as salespeople. That by the time that sale really close closes, we really we're we have confidence in just how much we can bring to that relationship. Yeah, and it, that's our trigger to thought, which is that too often I think if your sales process your sales process is too too well defined, let's say. Uh, is that sellers tend to think, well, we're just, we're just moving from this one significant interaction to the next one, mm-hmm. right? Uh, let's say, you know, I leave a, a qualification call, or discovery call, and yeah, we're setting up our next meeting. It's two weeks. We're going to, you know, talk about certain things that, in our effect, are really going to be a qualification call for us. And what I see is sellers just say, okay, I'll talk to them in two weeks. We got that meeting all set up. It's like, yeah, but what are you doing between then? Right. And and to your point, it's, it can be very creative things you do that, and there's been study done on this about what they call tie-breaking selling, which is in a world where, where you know, a lot of people are selling products that are not easily distinguished uh, between each other, is it's the little things that make a difference, and they're not necessarily price, they're not price-driven necessarily. Right. So what's the additional levels of value providing? And and one of those absolutely can be you, right? You as the seller can be that that one percent difference. And I, I like asking this question of sales teams is so so how much did you win your last deal by? Mm. You know, were you ten percent better, twenty percent better? Well you can't quantify that, right? Other than price, but price doesn't mean you're better. And so you really have to operate with the assumption that I only need to be one percent better. And that 1% could be my follow-up. Right. And in fact, and in fact, I really think that it is. I mean, I think when we, I know that um, last year, because I do, um, I do track and um, uh, measure over 70% of my business came from follow-up that I did, uh, you know, follow-up with prospects, follow-up with past customers, um, that that is where my business comes from. I, I land a lot of business, and I think it's because I stay in the game, and my competitors give up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's especially if you're a small <laughs> entity. Yes, and you think about what's a competitive advantage I can establish over a big company. This is it. This is this is this, it. This is they're not as nimble. They don't have time, especially if you're dealing with an opportunity that might be big for you, but may not be big for them. Um, yeah, that, this type of this type of activity can spell the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, and I don't. So it, it's always a mystery to me why, when I work with organizations, um, that follow up really isn't given the same amount of attention as the other parts of the sales process. Well, they don't identify it as a separate part. Yeah. I mean, what they typically say is follow up, but you know, like what we've discussed here is it's, it's truly is an art and a science and there needs to be a strategy and a system with it. Yeah. I mean, it needs to be considered as sort of a parallel track to your primary sales process, mm-hmm. right? You've got these big, big stages you're going to, that are important in, in the sales process. You've outlined, you've got playbooks for them, whatever, but yeah, what are you doing in between times? Because it's in between times when you've got that connection with the buyer it's those informal conversations. If you can provide some value, that I, I say there's the aggregate value to that that adds up in a way that is in addition to what you're doing with your your primary sales interactions, and can make all the difference. 
Yeah, it's that it is, um, it is what is going to put it over, over the edge. The other thing too is that I always, you know, I don't know the numbers all this, but I always think from a, um, from a profitability standpoint, I mean, the hardest thing that we do as salespeople is get the first meeting. It's the most expensive and hardest thing we do. And then to walk away from it. Um, to try to get into another door and start the process all over versus staying in the game with those customers that qualify fit your target market. I mean, one of the values of a, of a first call is that you figure out whether somebody's, you know, right for you and you're mm-hmm. right for them. But for those ones that are, if we spend a little bit more time staying in the game with them versus, um, you know, versus going off to chase new business, I bet your productivity is going to go up quite a bit by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I'm just thinking about that as, as you, you brought that up. I mean, I think part of it depends on your definition of productivity. But <laughs> um, yeah, for me is, yeah, if I'm saying, gosh, if I can generate and sort of create a formula that says, yeah, how much revenue am I generating per hour of time I'm actually selling? Um, you know, the return on, on effective follow-up is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Because it, it can move the needle. And, it's, and so I think it's important for people listening to think about this is because, is they, again, they tend to think of follow-up as, oh, I got a lead, did I follow up? Really talking about, yeah, how you're interacting with the buyer in a value-added way between the major steps of your selling process. And most people aren't doing it. Or they're doing just a check-in call. And, and we're talking about here today is being deliberate about how you do it in a way that that moves the deal forward. Yeah, I always say that follow-up is not about you getting the sale to close as much as it is about you using it as an opportunity to continue to build and enhance the relationship. And if you can shift your paradigm there, I'd love to challenge anybody who is listening. As you go into this year and you think about, you know, this... um, you think about the quarter that you're in, if you just shifted your energy and really focused more on the follow-up and give it a try and see how it impacts your, your numbers. Because one, I think it's a higher and better use of your time. If you're, if you're following up on the right customers, they've got to prospects, they've got to fit your target market. But the other is talk about differentiating yourself in the marketplace. You're doing what nobody else is doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is right. A, a, a small number of people do it or do it well, right? I mean, right. It's, it's one thing to follow up, and what you're trying to do is just ask somebody, "Are you ready to go? Are you ready to move forward? Are you ready for?" It's like, yeah, that's that's not what we're talking about. It's, not, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it is. It's you know I when I go in it was really exciting earlier this year one of the last live events I did I went into a cybersecurity company and um, all we did was spend a day and a half training on follow up mm-hmm. and I was so excited because I'd never had a sales leader say look that's exactly what we need that's exactly what we want if we put um, our energies there that's you know that's what we'll do and this they saw immediate results from it because it's again it was different they were they were competing against a lot of other very big organizations with big marketing dollars with things that they couldn't compete with and they had to find their competitive advantage and that's exactly where the position was yeah and you you laid out in an article you've written sort of these creative strategies you can use, creative things you can do to, as part of follow-up that serve these purposes we talked about, deepen the relationship, help move things forward, uh, deepen the value or the perception of value that you're providing. But some are really simple, like you know the handwritten note, but there's value in that. 
And it does differentiate you. It shows a level of personal effort that that people appreciate. You know, it's um we aren't we're really selling ourselves in today's marketplace. There's very little left that isn't a commodity, at least in the mind of the customer. I mean, we felt this way before the pandemic, but now we really feel we can sit in our houses, Google anything and find it, right? Mm. So um so that you know, there's been such argument, does that make salespeople irrelevant? And I do not think that. I think it makes us more important than we have ever been. Sure. But but we have to sell. I mean, what people are buying is us first, product second. If they don't like and connect and trust in us, we can never position our product as superior and um, more valuable. And follow-up is a big piece of us selling ourselves. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it contributes to the perception of the customer forms of us, right? So it's right. your point about, you know, are we trusted? Are we somebody they find likable, somebody they want to do business with, so that's a trusted advisor, all those things. Yeah, flow from that. So, well, Meredith, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but uh, great to talk to you again. So how can people connect with you or find out more about what you do? Well, Andy, I always love um, love talking with you. It's such a such a great conversation about sales. But people can find me at my website, which is valuespeaker.com, just the words value and speaker.com. I am on all the social networking sites, tend to live a little bit more on LinkedIn and YouTube. And I'm a big believer that if you build your network, it will change your life. And uh, so if you reach out, I will reach out to you. Excellent. All right. Well, Meredith, stay safe. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Meredith for sharing her valuable insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help, and thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.